Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to this episode of the Officer Roll Call Podcast. I'm Paul Peluso, editor of Officer Magazine. I'm joined, as always, by Frank Borelli, the editorial director of Officer Media Group. How's it going today, Frank? Pretty good. Beautiful day, Paul. I hope you're enjoying the same. Yeah, it's a little hot down here in Florida, but but you know it's July, so um, yeah. Complain about that in December when I got feet of snow on the ground. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, today um, we're going to talk about different considerations for firearms. Um, first, we're going to start off with an article that Frank wrote for the um, July August uh, issue of Officer Magazine, which will be out in the middle of August, and it's defining the full size duty handgun. So. You know, in this uh, article, Frank, you you talked about the characteristics of a duty, um, what characteristics a duty sidearm should have and go through a different couple different models and kind of what you started out with and what's used today and um, and what, you know, what defines a full size gun. Um, can you kind of talk about some of the thought, the thought process you went through with this article and some of the things that you talk about in it? Yeah, so it, it, I think one of our biggest challenges sometimes is our own restrictions on our thought process or our perceptions. Um, yeah, I'm an old guy. When I started out as a military policeman, we were still carrying the government model 1911. That was, to me, a full-size duty handgun, and it is. It's a big gun. Uh, it's a heavy gun, you know, the all-metal uh, structure we're not really used to today. But for all that, it only held eight rounds of 45 ammo, seven in the magazine, one in the, in the chamber. So that was my first exposure for a quote-unquote full-size gun. A few years later, the Army switched to the Beretta M9. Now, overall, about the same size physically, height, width, length, weight, it's a little bit lighter, but it changed to, to 9mm, 15 in the magazine, one in the chamber. So now, are we redefining what a full-size handgun was? After I got out of the Army and I was working on the street, uh, my agency was still issuing uh, revolvers, and that was a full-size duty weapon. Mine happened to be a 357 six-shot revolver. But then the agency decided to switch to 9 millimeters, and they were choosing between all the different 9 millimeter double stacks that were out there at the time. Uh, me being me, my outlook was, why are we only considering, as the example, the Glock 17, why aren't we also carrying the Glock 19? Um, and the gentleman I was talking to said, well, because the, the Glock 19 doesn't hold as many rounds. Well, no, but it held the same number of rounds as the Beretta 92 FS, which was the, you know, the civilian version of the, the M9. So you have a larger Beretta versus this quote-unquote mid-sized Glock. They had the same sight radius. They had the same capacity. Why couldn't the Glock 19 serve as a full-size handgun? Uh, and, and people looked at me like I had two heads. And, and they started talking about uh, capacities. And they, you know, then me being me again, I was like, wait a minute. So a government model 45 with eight rounds of 45 is enough. But a Glock 19 with 16 rounds of nine millimeter isn't. Where's the logic? And today this gets even more convoluted because of aftermarket things and other uh, other designs and, and engineering updates and changes in metallurgy and in synthetics and all this other stuff. Uh, so my question became at the end of the day, at the end in this article, I day to day I carry now a Glock Model 48 MOS. So it's, it's got an optic and it has a rail for a light. 
And with the uh, Shield Arms aftermarket carry kit, it holds 16 rounds of 9mm. It's essentially a very skinny Glock 19. Um, but my question is, then why can't that be considered a quote-unquote full-size duty handgun, even though it's a downsized gun? And I think what we're missing is uh, we, we focus too much on the gun and not enough on the shooter. The Beretta 92 FS was was too big for my hand. I couldn't hold the gun properly. I actually had to turn it in my grip and learn to shoot that way because uh, I have medium-sized hands. Um, you know, the U.S. Park Police used to issue the H&K P7, which came in two variations, the M8, which was a single-stack 8-round 9mm, or the M13, a double-stack 13-round 9mm. And they issued it based on the size of the officer's hand. They made a specific measurement. Whatever that measurement was, you got issued one gun or the other. And men and women, if some people had bigger hands, some people had smaller hands, they got issued these guns. And I think that's the right focus. I think we ought to be focusing on capability of the shooter, size of the shooter's hand, and then at the end of the day, comfort of the shooter. Um, but anyway, I I, I got to stop talking so I know you can ask questions or make offer comment. But I, I just think we went about it the wrong way. I think we continue to go about it the wrong way. It's not about the number of rounds necessarily. It's about the caliber, but it's also about the comfort and the capability of the shooter. Yeah, Frank, I, I think when we uh, first kind of started talking about the idea um, for this this article um, that, you know, it has a lot to do with this, uh, the hand size of the officer. And you you have a lot more female officers out there now than you used to have. And also, you know, officers that may have smaller hand sizes than some other male officers that have smaller hand sizes than other male officers have. So I think it is a big consideration that hand size has to be taken into account when um, officers are assigned uh, handguns. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go on and talk about um, some of the accessories for the firearms. I know you mentioned that your firearm has, you know, an optic and a light. Um, let's talk about optics. What's important um, for officers to look for in the right type of optic? Uh, there, There's a lot... Um, there's new technology out there or technology has become more prevalent like RDS. Um, you know, uh, what, what do you see as the big trend now and kind of the tried and true that officers need to look for? You know, I, you said RDS red dot sites. I, I think they've come a long way. Uh, we've watched optics grow and I used, I was never a fan of laser sites uh, where you projected a dot onto your target. It can have a great psychological impact if the target is aware that that dot's there, but um, the today's contemporary red dot sights or RDS, they're they're holographically projected inside on on the lens of of the uh, the sight itself, so only the person holding the gun sees it. Now, putting them on your gun does require uh, a training curve. I mean, you've, you've got to train with them. You have to learn how to pick them up. Uh, it's a different presentation. Uh, a lot of agencies are teaching uh, different methods. But at the end of the day, it's a lot faster. And, and here's the biggest difference why. When you use fixed sights or mechanical sights, you bring the gun up into your line of sight and you have to align the front sight and the rear sight. We say equal height, equal light, and then hold that on your target. So you have a sight alignment, equal height, equal light, and then sight picture where you put that on your target. And then you have to hold that while you press the trigger and not mess up everything. But the bottom, at the end of the day, you're focused. The front sight is what's supposed to be in focus. So your back sight's blurry and your target's blurry. Front sight's in focus. 
with the RDS, you're focused on the target and the dot just gets overlaid on the target. So you're target focused, which means you're threat focused, which is a great benefit. That's a big improvement over what we've done for centuries now, I guess. Um, but by the same token, anything electric can fail. So uh, I would encourage agencies to do uh, much as what LAPD has recently done. They went to the FN 509 with, with a red dot and they're issued the rookies, the gun and the RDS. They spend a week on the range with mechanical sites. They spend a week on the range with the RDS and then they get to choose whether they're going to use the RDS or not. Uh, but they already know how to do both. And that's vital. My last comment on RDS for older shooters, I suffer from presbyopia. We all get to that point where you can't hold the menu far enough away to read it. Uh, you know, you have to tilt your head, look over your glasses, through your bifocals, whatever. Same thing with gun sights. With my Glock 43, my arm's not long enough to get the front sight and focus. My 1911, it is. Uh, but with a red dot, it's all academic. Because it doesn't matter if the red dot, dot is crispy clear or if it's blurry. The difference between a two millimeter dot and a three millimeter dot uh, inside of combat distances makes no difference at all. So for, for aging shooters, when your eyes start to become a challenge, the red dot is a, is a, is a life, it's a game changer. We talked about optics. Let's talk about uh, weapon mounted uh, lights. And um, what, what kind of changes have you seen in the weapon mounted lights that are used over the last few years and the importance of them? So, you know, it used to be you could only get one and it stuck out past the end of your, your handgun. And I am specifically talking about handguns here. I'm not talking about long guns. Um, and I used to be really against a light mounted on a handgun unless you were a SWAT officer or a canine handler. I just I just never believed in it because when it was a new thing, too many officers uh, would pull their handgun out and use the flashlight uh, and rather than getting out a flashlight. And essentially, that's presenting deadly force to, to do a search. Um, so I was never a fan of it. SWAT and canine, was, they were the only people I thought needed them. And the other side of that was we did a lot of low-light training probably two decades ago when I, when I went to instructor school for it. And half the time in the dark, the bad guy role players would shoot the only thing they could see, which was that light mounted on your handgun that typically was held up in front of your face because you were trying to line up sights. So now you have incoming rounds going towards your face. That's ne that's never a good day. So I was really against it. We, popular uh, perception, popular opinion, everything says Frank Borelli's wrong. And I eventually have to admit that that maybe I'm a little narrow-minded. Um, and, and I know a couple of my friends listening to this are now laughing hysterically. Uh, you know, you're, you're, every weapon made that's aimed for law enforcement duty use uh, even plain clothes use it. They've got rails on them. They are made to have lights mounted. Um, the lights that are out there are smaller. We've got such great advances in LED uh, lamps, the, the um, light emitting diodes that are hard to break. They, they're putting out a lot of light. They're not as hot as they used to be. They take less uh, energy, so the batteries last longer. Um, it, I mean, just, it's just more efficient all the way around. And so you're seeing a lot of places where every patrol officer has a light on their weapon. And um, if the training and the policy support that, it's a good thing. If either one, the policy or the training, isn't in place and done correctly, you're still creating a bad situation where you've got officers 
uh, making themselves a target, making themselves trackable, and potentially presenting deadly force simply for a search. Uh, you know, it's, it, that's bad mojo. So the training and policy have to be, be in place. And we're seeing lights on guns left, right, and sideways. And, and it's as much as I wouldn't have said this 20 years ago, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's a great benefit if it's done right. So for the July, um, August issue of Officer Magazine, you you wrote uh, two pieces about holsters um, and different types of holsters. Uh, the first piece you wrote about the Safari Vault and the uh, Solus uh, from Safari Land. Do you want to talk about those two holsters and kind of the new things that they uh, they have in them? So the Safari Vault, I got I got exposed to a prototype version of it. Um, in November of last year, 2022, uh, a great compliment. And thank you to Safari Land for that. But it's a new holster design they have. Um, it's a full-size duty holster. Uh, it comes in level one or level three. Um, it can be used with or without an optic, with or without a light mounted on your handgun. The, the, the final uh, version that I had is my test unit. I got from my Glock 17 Gen 4. I can holster and secure that weapon with no light, no optic. I can put both on and still holster and secure the weapon. It doesn't matter. Now, there's a specific list of lights that the holster will work with and won't work with. Um, but that's their newest duty offering. And, and it's. I think they're going to go a long way with it. Any agency that's been using uh, Safari Holster in the past with their SLS or ALS security systems won't have a problem in their training curve with this holster. Um, the other one, the Solus, is the first uh, holster I've seen with a retention system beyond formed kydex uh everybody and their brother makes a custom molded formed kydex to hold certain guns in this case i'm talking about the glock 48 mos with a tlr 7 sub light on it um the solus holds the 43 43x 48 with the tlr 7 sub on it and a red dot sight and it uses their als retention system so it is it is a security holster uh it's much smaller than a duty holster obviously it, it, it comes on a paddle mount that's the most ergonomic paddle mount, comfortable paddle mount I've ever experienced, and a belt mount that, I, that I've, I've given some commentary back to Safari Land about maybe making some changes on, although it's very functional, very secure. Um, I, th I think they're going to go a long way with those holsters, um, and, and you're going to see a lot of agencies upgrading to the Safari Vault specifically for duty gear. And did you also want me to comment on the the, uh, the other piece that was in the that I wrote for that July August issue, Paul? Yeah, of course, Frank. Uh, so you wrote um, a piece about the Alien Gear Rapid Force uh, duty holster, and um, I know they sent you a model to the test. Uh, can you take uh, talk a little bit about what you took away from uh, that that uh, model? Yeah. So you know, Alien Gear for a long time has been known um, as a creator of holsters. For concealed carry uh and and that that means you need a different level you don't need as high of a level of, of security in my opinion because uh you know a duty holster has to keep people from trying to get your gun uh if you're wearing concealed carry you shouldn't they shouldn't even know you have a gun it should properly be concealed right so the alien gear rapid force holster i got again for that glock 48 tlr7 uh with an optic and just for the record i'm using the shield uh RMSC red dot sight on, on my Glock 48. Excuse me. And the Alien Gear Rapid Force will secure that gun with the optic, with or without the light. Um, multiple mounting options again. It's a, a formed 
uh, it's not, I don't think it's Kydex. I think it's a proprietary uh, material, the Alien Gear. It holds the gun very securely, very comfortable to wear, very snug to the body. Um, the paddle holster, I, I tell you this, taking the holster off is so much work, I'm convinced nobody else ever going to get it off in a fight, uh, even if they ever knew you had the gun there. It's. I think it's a really great option for off-duty and plainclothes use. Um, remembering that it does not have a, uh, it's passive retention only. It's it's the formed, molded synthetic material. Um, there's no uh, levers to push or buttons or push or any of that to get the gun out. It's just, a, you know, the good, strong pull. And it holds the gun in uh, quite effectively and securely, even though it doesn't have that security, added security feature. I think it's a great option. Passed every test we put it through. So to wrap this up, Frank, um, if you would just talk about a few of the trends that you see out there in firearms and kind of the accessories that go along with them and kind of what um, what officers have to look for when when they go in um, to, to look for new items to purchase, new accessories and new uh, firearms uh, that, that they think would work well as, you know, duty gun, backup gun, while off duty. Well, you know, I, I think that most agencies are issuing a duty weapon or, or they have standards if they let the if the officers select their own. Um, in today's world, uh, a double stack nine millimeter. And I, I, I get away from the whole high capacity term because some weapons, the full capacity is eight rounds. So for some weapons, the full capacity is 20 rounds. So whatever that standard capacity is for the weapon being discussed, um, I think we're seeing double stack nine millimeter magazines, feeding duty handguns uh, in general, uh, polymer frames, um, you know, with, with optics that can be, or, or the option for optics, the option for lights. One of the trends that I'm seeing is uh, the modular systems where the trigger group itself is the serial number part, and then you can get different size frames, different size slide assemblies. So effectively on the ATF paperwork, you're buying one gun, that trigger assembly group, uh, the trigger group assembly, either way you want to say it. And then the rest of its accessories, and you build the gun the way you want to build the gun. I think that's that's a growing trend. We're going to see that happening more often. When it comes to selecting an off-duty weapon, I would encourage officers to get something that functions just like their on-duty weapon, right? So you, you want your mechanical skills to always be the same. You want as little change as possible. So if I've got a Glock 17 duty weapon, I want a Glock whatever off-duty weapon so that it feels the same in my hand. The operating system is the same, so on and so forth. If I've got a Smith & Wesson MP duty, I want an off-duty Smith & Wesson that operates the same. Um, if I've got a SIG M17 uh, or P320 as my duty weapon, then maybe that P365 is the right way to go. I want similar operating systems. I want similar feel in my hand. I want the mechanical operation to be the same so that under stress, I'm not trying to figure out the difference between a Glock on-duty handgun excuse me, and a Springfield Armory off-duty handgun or vice versa. I want the operating systems the same, and I would encourage officers uh, to think about that when they're selecting off-duty weapons. There, there's absolutely no reason today why we're not carrying weapons in the same caliber off-duty. Uh, there are so many really small 9 millimeters that if you've got a 9 millimeter duty gun, carry a 9 millimeter off-duty gun. Uh, if you're carrying a different caliber duty weapon, 40, same thing. There's a lot of small 40s. 45s, 10 millimeters, 357 SIGs, we might, you might have a little bit of a challenge. But there's no reason to be out here carrying a 22 or a 380 off duty um, 
that that boils down to comfort and, and outlook. And I would never tell somebody what to pick or not to pick. I won't go out of my house without something at least nine millimeter on my hip. And I don't see any reason why any other officer should. Um, and I, I think, Paul, that's more than my two cents. The mileage might vary, but uh, my opinion is you asked for it, sir. That's great, Frank. Well, yeah, I think this is a good discussion on uh, firearms considerations, Frank. And, you know, I thank everybody for listening to this uh, episode of the Roll Call podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions for us, feel free to reach out at editors at officer.com. That's editors at officer.com. Is there any uh, anything you wanted to add, Frank, before we log off? Nope. We want everybody to stay safe. We're coming up on the end of summer, so uh, different different considerations going into the school year. But stay safe out there, everybody. Hey, thanks, everybody. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.